Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Grab a seat. Welcome back. Welcome back. If you have a Bible, jump over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Starting in verse 27, I'm going to read a little bit for us, and then I will, we will jump in. So Philippians chapter 1, looking at verse 27. It is a new semester. It is a new year, 2017, people. And you guys braved the weather and the earliness for school to be here. So I'm excited for you guys to be here, and I'm excited about this semester. It's going to be a great, great kickoff. So if you have a Bible, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start reading verse 27, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, just three verses for us before we jump off. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened by any of your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that you that for your sake of for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Well, I hope you had a great Christmas break. Was it just enough time? A little too much? A little uh maybe. Uh, for me, it was just right. It was just right. I'm excited to jump in. Uh, for, for us, uh, we spent time in Katy, Texas for a, a large part of it, connecting with family uh, and, and my, my sister who recently moved to Austin from, uh, from California, so we got to spend a lot of time with her. And it was so good. And, and, uh, and, and over this, this break, uh, there was a movie that I tried to convince my kids to watch, but they would not watch it with me. But it's a movie that I love. And I think part of it is because of my life stage. Um, I'm a dad with kids. Um, but it's a movie called The Incredibles, if you've ever familiar, if you've seen this movie. And, and what I love about the movie is, uh, is you see an existential crisis in the husband, which I, I relate with personally. Not that I'm going through a crisis, but I just see it going on in his mind. And, and there's this crazy moment at the very beginning of the movie where you see this man who was Mr. Incredible. He was amazing, and he did incredible things. But through political circumstances, through uh, different things that occurred in his life, he was no longer able to chase his dreams of saving the world, and he was left committing a life of mediocrity. I mean, he at one time lived a great life, an exciting life, an amazing life, but, but conflict came in, and, and different pressures came in. And you see this man sitting in a cubicle. He's a huge man in a teeny little cubicle, and he's just hating life, pushing pencils. And, and then he drives home after he just lost his job. And he's sitting in his car in, in, in his driveway, asking himself the question, what am I going to tell my wife? And, and as he's sitting there, figuring out what he's going to tell his wife, there's a little kid that rides up on a, on a big wheel, blowing a big fat bubble, and it pops. And he looks over at the kid and says, well, what are you waiting for? And the little kid, like with big doe eye, goes, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. And in this sad little statement, he says, me too, kid, me too. And I looked at that man, I go, that's just so sad. 
It's so sad that a man who lived for something incredible is now left committing his life to a life of mediocrity, a life of just normal. Thoreau, the book you knew and loved as like a freshman in high school, says this, the mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. See, I think the truth is most of us want to live for something incredible. I mean, the reason you came to A&M isn't to live a life of mediocrity. Like, I hope I can just have a two-bedroom house and a car, and I hope that I can watch football on the weekends. I mean, if that's the culmination of what you're chasing in life, I want to shock you awake this morning and say, there's something more you can live for. You can have that, but there's also something more, and I want you to live for something incredible. I want you to be a part of something incredible. And so there's three questions I think we've got to answer this morning. And the first one is this, who are we? Secondly, what are we here to do? And thirdly, what if it's hard? And I love Philippians chapter one because Paul answers these three questions in a simple, focused way. He gives you your identity, who you are. He gives you a trajectory. This is what you're here to do. And he gives you the reason for the struggle that you face. And I tell you what, if you want to live a life of meaning, meaning, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. But I tell you what, if you follow what Paul shows us here, you can be a part of something incredible. And the reason I want to start that way this semester is because I think we together can do some incredible things. I think we can together do more than any one of us could do individually. I think united, there's something significant that we can do. And so Paul begins by looking firstly at their identity. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Only, only be, there's one thing. Karl Barth says it this way. It's almost like he lifts up one finger and says, There's just one thing, that you live a life worthy of, of the gospel of Christ Jesus, that you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of. That phrase, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of, is actually one word in Greek. It's one word, it's the word politeuitse. It takes the word polis, which is the word for city, and tuitse, right? It it takes that, and that's the live as citizens. And so it's live as citizens of something. And the reason he chose that word politeuitse was because he knew it'd get a rise out of the Philippians. Because in 42 BC, at the Battle of Philippi, there was a war going on for who would be in control of Rome. There was uh, Brutus and Cassius versus Octavian and Antony. There was real people fighting a real war, and the Philippians chose the side side of the victors, Octavian and Antony, and they defeated Brutus and Cassius, and therefore Philippi was made a Roman colony, a, a retirement community for military officers. And so they were given unique things as being part of that city. They were given Roman citizenship, which meant you didn't have to pay taxes. That's awesome. But you were also surrounded by by great buildings, great structures that, that Rome sent money to to actually build up this city. And so being a citizen of Philippi was a huge deal to these people. And so he pulls the word, act as citizens, because he knew it would get a rise out of them. I mean, if you've ever played sports, I know I had a coach in college, and he would say this. When we go to this place and you wear our gear, don't do anything to embarrass yourself, your uniform, or your teammates. And he knew that just driving that at us, hey, you're a Mustang, that that would mean something to us, like in high school, right? And and we're going to represent our school well. Once you got here to be an Aggie, you know once you put on that maroon and and white, 
You're part of something bigger. And when someone says howdy to you, what do you have to say back? All right, that's a little okay. That's that's about a 3%, Aggie. Come on. But as soon as someone says howdy to you, what do you say back? That's right, and you know once you're walking down the streets of your school in between classes, if there's a cute girl, she goes, howdy. You're like, okay, howdy, you know, and you just go because you embrace this identity, and so their mission becomes your mission. So not just in what you say, but if you were standing in a line with a bunch of people and, and a certain song just started up, and all of a sudden they put an arm around you and put a leg in front of you, you'd be like, okay, it's on, right? And then you're going to saw the horns off. You're going to go with the crew. You're, and you know that you've been brought into something significant. And if someone said to you, I want you to act as an Aggie, there's something within you that just goes, all right, baby, I'm there. I'm there. Are we, are we doing a fight song? Are we singing? What are we doing? Is there someone yelling in front? What's going on? You know that once that identity has been put in front of you, you're like, I am part of something. They said, act as an Aggie for the gospel. There should be something that stirs within you. Live as a citizen. Direct all your loyalty, all your excitement, all that energy that could be directed toward yelling, toward the purposes of the gospel. That you would live a life worthy of the gospel. That you would see your identity as a citizen of that king and his kingdom. Your identity is not wrapped up in primarily being an Aggie but primarily being in Christ. And when you chase that cause, there are people that are supposed to come around you to inspire you. I mean, it's like anything. I mean, can you imagine going to a football game alone and being the only one in the stands? I mean, can you imagine showing up to Kyle Field and being the only one sitting in the stands going... It would just be weird. It would be awkward, right? But for so many of us as Christians, we, we try to go in it alone. I mean, and, and we, put, we put spiritual words around it, like, hey, I'm having a personal quiet time. I'm having a personal prayer life. I'm focusing on my personal purity. But the truth is, victory in the Christian life doesn't come as an individual. It comes in the context of community. And it's more fun when you get together. It's more fun when you can get a group of people excited about being together, excited about charging one mission toward one direction. And that's what Paul says. Look, you, are, you have a new identity that you've been placed in. But not only are you a new person, you're a citizen. That means you're a city of the people of God. You have a new trajectory in life. You have a new thing to chase. He says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind side by side for the faith of the gospel. See what he asked them to do? He says, I want you to stand firm in one spirit. I want you to have one mind uniting y'all. And I want you to have one mission. I want you to be striving side by side for the sake of of the gospel. I want you to have one mind and one mission. Why? Because great things can happen when we're unified. You can build a great building if you're unified. You can build huge structures if you're unified. You can pull off an amazing event when you get a bunch of people unified in one common direction. I had the cool opportunity over the break to go to 
the Passion Conference. Anyone else go? Ah, uh, cool. A couple of us, a couple of us went. And it was, it was amazing. And I, I literally went and talked to all of the volu- as many volunteers as I could, and they're called door holders. And so I went and talked to each volunteer because my question wasn't, how cool is Beth Moore? Because I knew she's really cool. Um, or how, how fun is it going to be to see Christian Stanfield or whoever kind of sings songs? Like, I knew that was going to be great, so I was going to enjoy that part of it. But my bigger question was, how do you pull off something like this? How do you get 60,000 college students to want to come to one moment to celebrate one name all together? I'm like, how do you pull this off? And I talked to the volunteers, and I said, where are you from? And most all of them said Georgia, all the ones I talked to. And then I said, okay, why did you do this? Why did you want to be a part of this? And they said, to a T, every one of them said, I love the idea of shouting the name of Jesus Christ and being a part of that. And they had over 5,000 volunteers. 5,000 people that took off four days of work to come to this place to hold the door open so that a bunch of 18 to 25-year-olds could come and meet the person of Jesus. And I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, it isn't everything, but it is a cool thing that you had 5,000 volunteers just go, you know what, I want to open the door for fifty to 60,000 college students to come and hear the gospel of Christ. I'm going to leverage my time for that. But the challenge is for many of us, we don't strive with one another for a great goal or for one another for a great goal. A lot of us strive with one another. There's competition. So over the break, um, we spent a lot of time with family. And so I have four kids. Uh, Peyton is my daughter, who's six, who's a perfect princess. Um, Micah, my five-year-old son, uh, who is awesome. Uh, Jesse, my three-year-old son, who is also awesome. And Juliet, my one-year-old daughter, who is growing up. Um, And so it's all been very interesting to see them. And I remember one particular day, like, they are just going at it, every one of them. And, And literally, it went from one person screaming to the next for about 36 hours. Like, it was so emotionally draining for me personally. And I remember at the end of one day, um, I'm tucking in uh, Jesse and Micah. They share bunk beds in one room. And so I'm, I'm tucking in Jesse on the lower bed. He's three. And I'm sitting there and go, hey, go, buddy. I mean, they'd just been at each other's throats all day. And daddy was tired of it. Okay, so I look at Jesse and I said, Jesse, um, do you know what your responsibility is? He's three, so he's no clue. He's just like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, like lay here and suck on my dodo. Like, I don't, what, what is my responsibility? I said, your responsibility is to care for your little, your little sister, Juliet, and your big brother, Micah. Your responsibility is to look after them and care for them. You can just see his eyes like, I do not know what you're saying, Daddy, right? And then I go up to Micah. And he's on the top bunk, and I kind of get up there on the top bunk and say, Micah, you know what your responsibility is in this family? He's like, no. I said, you're supposed to care for your little brother, Jesse, your little sister, Juliet, and if anyone tries to hurt your big sister, Peyton, you beat this. You care for your big sister, Peyton. Your responsibility is to look after your family and he's like no and he just says that like just straight to my face no and he was joking but but I'm like you don't get it man 
You don't get it. You're, you're supposed to be here to help us thrive. I remember the first time I ever played Halo. I'm playing, going over to my friend's house. I'm not a video gamer, but he's teaching me how to play, and I'm there, and I start moving the control around, doing some stuff, and all of a sudden, I just see blood, sky. My remote kind of jiggles my hand and is dead, and I'm like, what just happened? He goes, oh, sorry, dude, I just shot you. I'm like, aren't we on the same team? He's like, yeah, dude, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. I'm, I'm like, my, my B. And I'm like, dude. We're not going to advance if we just keep shooting one another. You know what the first major sin in the first family was? The first kids that Adam and Eve had? It's murder. One brother who had it out against another brother. And God comes in and he says to Cain, hey, where's your brother Abel? You remember what Cain said? Am I my brother's keeper? His question is, am I responsible for him? Do do, do I have anything to gain by pouring any energy into him? You know what God said? His blood cries out to me from the ground, Cain. The answer, yes, you are. In fact, Paul says it this way. He says, look, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. You are your brother's keeper. You are responsible for that person right beside you. See, look, if we're part of the same family, if we're under the same king and part of his kingdom, then we're all in it together. There's no reason for Christian competition. There's no reason for it. I, remember I did youth ministry for years here, and I remember there was one church in this area that was struggling uh, with some families leaving. They're having some issues, and we inherited a lot of those youth kids because of the, the challenges that were happening kind of at the higher levels and so of parents leaving. And I inherited a bunch of those youth kids, and they all came in, and then they started talking bad about the, the church and the ministry that they just left. And I said, hey, we're not going to have that here. I said, I'm so glad you're here, but we're not going to have that here. And then I met with that youth pastor over there, and I just said, hey, look, I, I, you probably know this already, but we inherited a bunch of, of, of your kids. And he said, he said, yeah, you know, there's been some struggles, some challenges. And I said, hey, I just want to let you know, if you need anything, you just ask me. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I'm praying that your church turns and goes in the right direction. I'm in it with you. You're not alone. And, and you just see the reprieve from his face. Because so often it feels ministers can get in this war of people and it's like, look, that's not what we're talking about. We're under the same king. We're raising one banner in the name of Jesus Christ and we may do it differently, but it's not about winning. Yesterday, two days ago, I, two days ago, I was sitting at Starbucks, uh, the place where I live, and I see Blake Chilton come in. And, or actually, he was already sitting there and he's the, the pastor over at Declaration. And, uh, and we're, we're friends. And I go, hey, buddy, how, how are you doing, man? He's like, you know, honestly, it's been a tough year. And so I just sat down. I said, hey, you need anything. You let me know. And I pray for that man. The other day, uh, one of the pastors, uh, we're really good friends. He goes, he's one of the pastors over at Antioch. And his wife and my wife are good friends. And they came over and the kids were all hanging out and they're having a good time. And, and anytime they need something, they know that I'm here for you. Because we're under one king. We may do it differently. We may emphasize different things. But look, if we're all charging the same direction, we're all kids under one king. And we're all shouting one name. The name of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to do that well, then I want to support you. I want to be in the trenches with you. And I want you to, to help me to do the same. 
See, it's not about Christian competition. It's about Christian unity. That we stand beside one another. We fight for one another, not with one another. See, we're on one mission as part of his family to get the gospel out. But there is a fight. And that's the turn that he takes in this text. He says there actually, there is a struggle. Uh, Renowned commentator Warren Wearsby says it this way. We are sons of the family, enjoying the fellowship of the gospel. We are servants sharing in the furtherance of the gospel. But we are also soldiers defending the faith of the gospel. And the believer with a single mind can have the joy of the Holy Spirit even in the midst of the battle. There is a battle. And that's what Paul says. There is a struggle that we engage in. There's an identity we have. There's a trajectory that we're on. But there's also a struggle we embrace. And he says it this way. And not frightened, verse 28, uh, in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted. In other words, it has been gifted. This is your little present. Merry Christmas to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, have faith, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw and now hear to be in me. He says, you know what the gift of the gospel is? You get to believe that Jesus died in your place for your sins and you can have eternity laid out before you. It's a free gift that comes by simple faith, but you don't only have that gift of salvation. You also have the gift of suffering. And that's a gift that most of us, if we're honest, we want to give back. (laughs) No thank you this Christmas. Maybe next Christmas it'll roll around and I'll, I'll take the suffering. But honestly, if you've ever thought about it, there's no success in life without struggle. There's no gain unless you actually put forth the effort to struggle. I remember uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was not good at school. Some of you are intellectual geniuses, and so school was always easy, always simple for you. It wasn't for me. And so I had difficulty reading. I had difficulty doing math. I had difficulty in all of these different areas, and it was literally a struggle for me. And, and I remember my mom would literally try to like pin me down to read a book when I was like 10 years old, like, you will read before you go outside, so help me God. You know, like that was a lot of conversations with my mom growing up. And, and I remember later on, though, in life, um, reading a book called The Talent Code. And this is written by a guy that talks about how top performers gain their skills. You know what he says? He says, if you want to be the best performer at, at anything, whether it's soccer or a, a vocalist or a violinist or, or any particular skill, you know how you get there? Focused practice. And when I thought about me, I thought about, man, I, I, I never focusedly practiced the skills I needed to grow. And it wasn't until later on in life, really later high school and college, when I started really disciplining myself to, to focus practice of study and learning. And it was later on in life that I, that I learned those skills. But, but he says, look, if you want to get good at anything, you need focused practice. And if you, want to, if you want to do anything for the cause of Christ, you know what it's going to take? A struggle. Focused practice. James 1 says it this way. Blessed are you. When you encounter various trials, 
You know what that word various means? Multicolored. All sorts of hues and shades of frustration. You see what he says here in Philippians? Don't be frightened by your opponents, plural. I'm going to send a lot of them at you. I'm going to send them in a lot of different ways. They're going to attack you right on with, uh, with belief in your faith. They're going to be more subtle, like I'm going to try to pull you off course this way. There's going to be multiple opponents that hit you, but I want you to have focused practice in pursuing me in the struggle. And there's a second thing that God does in the struggle. He knows that when you struggle together, it brings unity and dependence. See, when we can struggle alone and overcome, we could feel good individually. Like, hey, I overcame that. I, I accomplished that. I have the discipline and strength to, to do more. But, but there's something else that God wants to put in his community. He wants to bring unity and dependence. He wants you to lean to that girl and say, hey, can you help me out with this struggle that I'm facing? He wants you to lean over to that guy and say, hey, can, can you come with me and help me as I struggle in this area? I was reading a book uh, called Tribes uh, by Sebastian Junger, and he's, he's writing about um, soldiers that come back from war. And he says for many of them, they, they struggle with life here, this side of, of the war. And the reason they struggle that he isolates is because for, for, for years, they're in the trenches and they're laying their life down next to this guy. And, and literally, they know that their life can be on the line. And they're going to lay their life down for this person. And they knew that that person would do the same for them. And they were in the trenches together fighting for something significant. And he writes this. He grew up in the Boston suburbs. He goes, in the Boston suburbs where, where he grew up, neighborhoods hardly knew each other. And they didn't need to. Nothing ever happened in my town that required anything close to collective effort. And he says, when you look at, at, at the community, when these people come back from, from war, they're saying, I'm so used to laying down my life and leveraging my life for someone else. And, and I come back here and I don't need to. And, and there's something missing. There's a tribe I want to be connected to. And, and his solution is actually to make everyone go to war. But I don't think that's the solution. I, I think instead that the gospel has something in there for all of us that we desperately need. He wants us to be united with one mind in one mission under one king in one direction. And when we do that, something significant can happen. And so do you call this place home? Is Southwood your home? Then can we be built together more deeply? Is that table group like your people, well, can, can it be built together more deeply? Can, can this community be more than somewhere you just come on, on Sunday, but somewhere where there's deep intimate connections that you know if you need someone to lift the other side of that mattress, that person's right here. Your car blows up or something significant happens, the person to help you is right here. When you struggle desperately with your faith, the person to help you stand and be strong is right here. You know what I'd love to see this semester? That we become that for one another. A band of brothers and sisters that are united together in one mission on, under one king that lays down our lives for one another. And when the community of God does that, it burns bright. Last story. Um, when my wife and I were, were dating in college, there was a moment where I wanted to prove how much a man I really was. 
And so I decided to take her on like a cool little picnic, and we were going to make a campfire over this lake, and it was going to be beautiful. So I bought a, a pack of wood, right, very rugged of me, you know, from, from H-E-B. And we drove out to this lake, and I'm like, okay, babe, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go gather up some, you know, some stuff to make this fire. I'll leave these things here, and, and I'll be right back. I got my matches, you know, strike on anything matches to fail safe, you know. And, and so I, I get there, and, and I kind of lay these, like, stacks of wood together, and, um, and I light it, and it goes a little bit, and it goes out. Just wait, sweetie, we got this. You know, and I light another match and I kinda light a little bit and it goes it goes out and I'm like, oh, this is horrible. And I throw another match, another match. She goes, Hey, um, you know, uh, we used to build fires in Girl Scouts. And I'm like, sure he did, sure he did say you know, and I'm kinda going and it's going nowhere. She goes, Hey, well, can I show you how how we did it in Girl Scouts? And I'm, at this point I'm like, it's getting dark, I'm like, fine, we need a fire, I'm getting cold and Anyway, so she, she, she goes, well, you built a log cabin. I'm like, great, you build your log cabin, babe. And she lays it out like a log cabin, puts you know, different sized pieces of wood and all different kind of foliage all together. And she says, now, and then we just lit one match and the whole thing went up. She lights one match, whoo, the whole thing goes. I'm like, I got it ready for you, babe. You know? and so, but I mean, it was amazing. I mean, she just, she said, okay, if I, if I stack them this way, if I put all the pieces together like this, it will burn brightly. And I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew how the pieces needed to lay, but I didn't. I needed another perspective to someone to say, no, it needs to be put together like this. You know what God's doing here? He's put you together. He's stacked you where you need to be. He's put you around these people strategically. And he says, look, if you, if you dig in, if you live there, I'm going to set a spark of the Spirit, and something's going to go ablaze. There's something significant that can continue to happen here if you will link in and be part of my mission. My prayer for us this semester is to be people that do more than just attend, but we link in and we grow together under his banner for his name that he might be known. And I pray that this is the place for you. I pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I pray that we would be unified on one mission under one name for one Savior. And Lord, I know that for, for many of us, there's, there's all sorts of things that, that pull our attention away from you, that pull our energies away from the one thing. So Lord, I pray that as we prioritize our semester, as we get our syllabus, as we get our books, we would put you at the top and then see where everything else needs to fit. And Lord, I pray that deep, life-changing relationships would form in these communities as we, as we seek you and strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. You guys have a great time discussing your table groups, and you get some time to catch up as well. So, enjoy.